you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will give, ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world would not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All of this I have spoken while still with you, but the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Um, so, uh, I've got two children, I think you know them, Kaylee, who's 21, and Harry, unbelievably, is 18. Uh, when Harry was younger, he still suffers from asthma a little bit, but not too much. But when he was younger, um, he, he used to suffer from it really badly. And uh, often, even when we was running alpha courses, or probably because we were running alpha courses downstairs, he would become interrupted upstairs. And I'd be up there and praying and uh, giving him his puffer, which we called it. And because he was so young, he couldn't use your nebulizer. He had a big thing that went over his, uh, his face. Recently, I've understood what that feels like. He didn't like it, and, um, but it helped him. And there's a sense of urgency in trying to help him, isn't there? You know, he's, he's, he's struggling for breath. He's gasping. Um, he's desperate. And some people, uh, they're fighting for their life uh, with this uh, disease. I remember, in fact, once when I was visiting here in the, in the morning, I think, or, yeah, it was the morning, and a message came just after I preached that paramedics had been called because he was really struggling. And there's a desperation in any parent when that happens. You may or may not know that feeling. But the fact is, he really needed that oxygen. He really needed help. And it's that kind of desperation, that gasping, that absolute need for life through the Spirit that we need to offer up in prayer, that God's Spirit would bring new life to us individually and corporately as a church. If you think about our society that we live in, it's one of relative materialism. You may not think you're rich, but if you looked around the world uh, just for a few minutes, you'll realise you are. Uh, An attitude of cynicism. A lacking of faith, people are turning away in many uh, aspects of the world. Frustration, people feel hopeless, it leads to apathy. People out there are looking for some sort of reality. Some people go off travelling to find themselves, and some of them will find themselves spiritually. Maybe they'll come to some sort of faith. But few of them would want to come into a dreary service reciting a creed that they're not sure what it means. 
And what's needed are churches and Christians that are alive in Christ. Some of these songs we've sung, uh, it talks about being alive in Christ, living, caring, worshipping, full of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, where they say, people would walk in and say, well, surely God is among them, like they did to those early believers. Otherwise, why would anyone believe in a saviour that Christians, us, aren't passionate about? If we're not passionate about him, how can we expect the world to be? And the call of Jesus in this journey of discipleship is one of everything, not just a little, it's everything. He demands everything because he gave everything. He says to deny ourselves, he says to take up our cross, to follow him, to be on this life of discipleship. And the fact is, if you're anything like me, that's really, really hard to absolutely hand everything over to him, to try and live every day for him. It's really hard. It goes against the prevailing mood of the culture, which is it's more about me than it's about anything, anyone else. It's where, though, Christians should stand out as beacons of light in sometimes this dark, despairing, hopeless world. But all of you know, and I know I know, that you can't do it on your own. Um, you can't manufacture that attitude, and nor do you have to. Jesus promises to give you the Spirit. He says, verse 16, another, another, Another like him, another counsellor will be with us forever and he lives in you. That's a real privilege, isn't it? If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God lives in you. When, um, When the Pharisees were asking Jesus where the kingdom of God is, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. It means wherever you go, you take God's presence and kingdom with you. Those early followers or disciples... Uh, The word literally means like apprentice or one who learns. So they're looking at Jesus and they're looking to be more like him. Those early followers without the Spirit of God, without the Spirit of God, would have been hopeless. I mean, they were depressed, weren't they, before uh, they saw Jesus again. But he leaves them. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. They would have been hopeless on their own, Uh, as we would be. They'd be lacking in conviction, lacking in power, and their ministry would have been disastrous because they would have been trying to do everything in their own strength. But instead, because God fulfilled his promise that was given uh, hundreds of years before, they started small and they brought in probably the greatest spiritual revolution the world has ever seen. Just those small, small group of people. When the Spirit came on them at Pentecost, nothing could stop them. And why was it? Because God was with them. The Spirit was in them. The kingdom of God is within them and within you. They had threats, opposition. They'd been put in prison. They were beaten. Most were killed. And and the list goes on. And they persevered because they had the Spirit of God within them. The people that came against them were enraged. They were furious. But they couldn't deny the passion that these believers had. They would have to agree that these early followers, they turned the world upside down. They literally changed the world in the name of Christ with his spirit living within them. And that achievement stands alone in the history of the Christian church. We look back at the book of Acts and say, oh, I wish it could be like that. Well, it can. It can. But they were absolutely reliant on the Holy Spirit's power. They were unashamedly dependent on the power that comes only from the Spirit of God. Let's fast forward from there a couple of thousand of years. The church, globally, has untold resources. It has its buildings, its investment, theological colleges, trained ministers, websites, courses. The list is a good one. It's an impressive one. It goes on and on. But much less impressive is the evidence of God's power through his Spirit in a world that is gasping for air. It's, it's groaning um, in creation, gasping for God. Um, Gary went, I was supposed to go to the EBA Minister's Conference 
and I looked, I went on Facebook, and you look at these talks, or listen to these talks online, you can actually see them, it's amazing, uh, the EBA. Um, and, um, and the guy there was just saying, uh, as what things we've been saying here, we can do immeasurably more uh, than we can imagine, and we must rely on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we must be like the child with the asthma pump, desperate for the life that the Spirit brings, both in the church and in ourselves, because otherwise the job is too hard, and we're doing everything in our own strength, and we'll get worn out, burnt out, and probably cast out, because we just can't do it on our own. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And I really believe that for us here. I think we're seeing evidence of it, but there's all, we should always want more. Um, and I don't think we're relying on the Holy Spirit enough. We do a lot of things in this church, and they're all good, but let's not fall into that uh, trap that the enemy would set that you're doing it in your own strength because you can't. Eventually, you'll burn out. If you come in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and we listen to him, we can do so much more. But we need more openness, more faith, more courage, more of the Spirit of God igniting that flare... I knew I was going to say that wrong when I wrote it. Igniting the flame of faith in our evangelism. And may that flame burn brightly in discipleship and seeing us through until the time when Jesus returns or we go to be with him forever. And as the earthly ministry of Jesus comes to a close, he speaks here of the Holy Spirit. He calls in verse 16, another counsellor. He would be with them forever. All that Jesus had been to them, those three short years, the Spirit would be to them forever. He wasn't going to leave them alone. He would be alongside them to guide, to teach. He'd be the encourager, sometimes the rebuker. He would be the Spirit of truth in an age of untruth. There is so much more we could say and do. And as I say, eventually... I'm formulating this idea of cultivating uh, a a life in the Spirit. But for now, well, I had four things to look at. um, uh, But I know we're going to be stuck on time. And when I started preparing, I realised I just haven't given myself enough time. So we're going to look two more than the the others. But the the four we're going to look at, you can see up there, spiritual birth, spiritual growth, spiritual gifts, and spiritual power. Spiritual gifts and power, I'm going to... Uh, just tackle towards the end, but they're shortened because I think we've got to come back and revisit that. They're just too big, big a subject to kind of squeeze into a five-minute point. Uh, But we will look at it and see what the hindrances are a little bit to receiving that power. Um, Some of it's uh, disbelief, some of it's I'm not worthy, uh, some of it's sin, uh, some of it is not reliant on them, complacency. So we we just want to look at that a little bit. And I'm hoping uh, at the end you'll go out and ask God to fill you with his spirit. Uh, an ongoing process. Many examples of disciples being filled initially and, and then later on they were filled again. It's not a one-off experience. It goes on and on. So we're going to look at it. So the first one, if I can have the second slide, please, Ben, is uh, spiritual birth. Uh, this is one of the things uh, that the Holy Spirit does as we look at this spirit-filled life as a Christian. First thing he does, he shows us our need, doesn't he? Uh, John 16, verse 8. When he comes... He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. I went on an Alpha course many years ago, uh, 1994, and I remember after about the third or fourth, um, I think it was the third one, why did Jesus die? Uh, I always wondered about that, you know, people who say, Jesus saves you. I thought, well, you know, I haven't fallen over. I don't know what they're on about. But when I, when I really looked at it, and why did Jesus die? I remember, as I've told you before, walking through Upminster Park and thinking, if this is true, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. You see, the Holy Spirit began to do a work. I hadn't asked for him yet, but there was something going on. And I said this prayer uh, over Upminster Park, and then I really realised that life is a mess. 
uh, my life was, certainly. And then as I began to read the Bible and it became more alive to me, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharp and a double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'd, I'd be reading the Bible and I'd be convicted of sin and I realised my need. I looked at my attitudes and my behaviour and that's an ongoing process. We're, we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So we haven't had the end result yet. I haven't met anybody uh, that's the end result. Uh, we'll see Christ face to face one day. He's the only one. Uh, so if you're comparing yourself to other Christians and saying, well, I'm better than that person, you're comparing yourself to the wrong person. We have to compare, compare ourselves to the word of God and, uh, and the person and character of Christ. And when we do that, we realise. I, I re- it's old biblical language and wrongdoings, whatever you want to call it. I'm a sinner and I need saving. And either I'm gonna, I can't save myself, so the Spirit shows me my need. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And then the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. As you go on reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit convicts us and shows us our need. And these give you, with your conscience and with the Holy Spirit, um, that you're exposed that I, I was convicted, I was aware of my spiritual need and the moral need of God. And it's only when the Holy Spirit convinces you of that, that you'll need, uh, or you'll find that need, that you need to call out to God, uh, asking him literally to save me, because I don't want to pay for my own sin. And I receive his mercy, his grace, and forgiveness. Then you answer, like those early believers, when they were preached to on that day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out in Acts 2.32, what must we do? They'd heard the gospel. They've been convicted of sin. What must we do? And the reply is, repent, change your mind, turn to God, and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in John chapter 3, Jesus, with his discourse with Nicodemus, talking about you've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Because without... Without God, you are spiritually dead. You're spiritually dead. You can only be spiritually alive in Christ. And as you accept him, he promises to send his spirit. And then the spirit, part of his work, assures us where we can cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. John, when we always pray, I'm going to come on to that in a minute, uh, before worship, as we should, because then, if we don't, we're not relying on the spirit's power, we're relying on ourselves. And John said, I trust you, Dad. And we haven't got a word. That's why they keep it as Abba in the Bible. We haven't got a word. It is, it is really Daddy. Uh, but, but it's Daddy with a sense of holiness uh, about it. A real intimate relationship. We've got four people so far um, that want to get baptised Easter Sunday evening. So we're really grateful for that. And if you're sitting there thinking, uh, this is something I want to do, you should come and see us about it. It's the biblical precedent. Repent, turn to God. Believe in the work of the cross and what Christ has done. I recognise my need. Be baptised and you will be filled with the Spirit. God doesn't lie. That's what he's going to do. So spiritual birth. The Holy Spirit is evident in that. We see that on Alpha. We see that on our Alpha courses. Uh, The latest one is just about to come to a close. It's gone on a bit through various people getting ill and sick. So we had to delay a few weeks. But uh, it will finish this Thursday. And it's been brilliant. In fact, one of the people getting baptised is one of, one of those on there. And there's one already been baptised from there. So, so we're looking forward to that. And it's really good. But it's the Spirit. I can only teach Alpha. We can only host Alpha. It's the Spirit of God uh, with, through the reading of the Word of God. Alpha is very biblically uh, sound. And it, it uses the Word of God to convince people. So we're looking forward to people responding in that way. Uh, second thing the Spirit does, spiritual growth. Uh, next slide, please, Ben. 
spiritual growth, there it is. When Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit being a counsellor, he uses a word that means one who comes alongside, or like a helper. You're not on your own. The Spirit's work, uh, really, as you're beginning to grasp, is imperative in the life of the believer. We should be Spirit-filled Christians. Uh, He helps us in becoming and then a Christian, and then living out a Spirit-filled life. So a few things that he does in our spiritual growth. This is not an exhaustive list. This is really a, a taster, really, for what's coming. But the, one of the first things he does, he, at the moment where we become a Christian, we get baptised, we're filled with the Spirit, and all that stuff, uh, he helps us become... That's the beginning. That's the beginning. That's the baby steps. You've made a decision for Christ. You're, you're reborn. You must be born again, Jesus said to Nicodemus. And you're spiritually born. But that's the birth. And then there's a process that goes on. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18 says, Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. The theological term is sanctification. We go on being sanctified. This amazing work that God promises, where God the Spirit um, comes in as you commit your life to Jesus, you receive the Spirit into your heart. The fact was before you were made in God's image, but that image was tarnished. It was tarnished, it had been abused, and it had been changed by the original fall and by sin. But now, because you've accepted what Christ offers, God redeems you through what Jesus has done. He's dealt with the sin and he's took it to the cross. And now God sends his spirit to you to begin and continue the repair work of the damage that's been done. You are saved and and it's like you go on being saved. It's an ongoing process. He sends his spirit to you to begin and continue the repair work. And like any surgery, uh, it can be delicate and it can be lengthy. Now, I've got to get a personal illustration here at this point, since I mentioned surgery, because I thought you'd all like to know uh, what happened. I'm not going to give you the whole thing. Uh, but it, I got here on holiday, and surgery had to happen. Right? The way I was going to get fixed was surgery. It wasn't major surgery, but it was scary surgery. It had to be done. Some of it wasn't pleasant. Um, they did a few things to me before I won't go into, but it wasn't pleasant. It brought tears to my eyes. And, and I could have said no. I could have said, I don't need your help. I think I can fix this on my own. But the whole night, uh, that hadn't happened. Realistically, I knew in the long run it would be for the best. It, would, it, might not be, it might not be pleasant, but it's for the best. Something had to happen. Somebody else had to intervene to make me right. The problem is solved, but I can tell you, uh, we're getting there. The recovery goes on, and that's a process. The problem's been fixed, but the recovery goes on. Go to the cross. You can choose to accept it, or you can say, you know what, I think I can deal with it on my own, my sin. I don't need it. I don't need the surgery. You can say no. But in the long term, really, if you're sitting and you haven't done that, you do know it's the best for you. And maybe at some point you've got to make that decision to say, can't sort this out myself. I can't get spiritually fixed. I need somebody else to do it for me. And when that happens, the problem is solved, but the recovery continues. Your sin is dealt with, but you still have this journey to become more like Christ. As you move forward with God the Holy Spirit, the recovery takes place. And as you're being transformed, it's amazing how much better you might feel. But you could say no and say, well, I know best. I don't need the great healer. It also depends on your cooperation. When I came out, they said, don't eat any solid food. That, that was a test for me. 
uh, don't uh, rush about too much. That continues to be a test for me. Um, I can either take their advice um, or not and carry on and have a longer recovery. In the walk with a Christian, I can, I can listen to the words of God and take them for the truth that they are. I can listen to the promptings of the Spirit and go with them. Or I can say, do you know what? I know best. I know better than God. I will ignore what he says in the word. I know best. And then you can go off and make a mess of your life like I would make a mess of my health. Depends on cooperation. Your natural self, it is a battle. Your natural self will sometimes be at conflict. Galatians 5.17 says, for the sinful nature, and you'll all be aware of this, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. You know when there's something right that you should be doing or saying or forgiving or showing grace or showing mercy or character, but you really don't want to. And there's something in you that wants to harbour the bitterness and the anguish and I'll get them back, maybe, sort of attitude. But that is contrary to the spirit. The sinful, sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. That's why you don't feel too good about it when you see those other things through. They are in conflict with each other. We're not totally submitted to God, you see. That fight against sometimes natural temptation. Paul, Paul was aware of them. We're told Jesus was tempted in every way. Paul compares them uh, just after that passage in Galatians 5, 19 to 26. And he says, you know, what are those things that are at conflict? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. You look at the papers and the news, uh, you can see where people have gone astray. Like sheep, they've gone astray, and, and the shepherd calls them back. He wants to come, wants to us to help them find a way back to God. And instead, Paul says, uh, actually, the, the, the battle that's raging within you, they're, they're those thoughts that we've got to try and uh, take hold of. Instead, the Christians should be exuding love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We can get so tempted by the world uh, in in our attitudes and our behaviour. Yet Paul says keep in step with the Spirit and cultivate uh, that Spirit-filled life both in fruit and gifts. But it's difficult. Once you become a Christian, once you turn to God and and you've changed your mind, you you say, I want to belong to you, I want to accept that, and you trust in the cross, you get baptised, you're filled with the Spirit, then you're in Christ. And the privilege of that is that Spirit of God is in you. And you can go out from this place, you may say that teaching was hard or it's easy or it's soft, whatever, but the Spirit of God is within you and you can do it. Claim it, enjoy it, and walk in step with the Spirit. Allow that Spirit of God. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. Allow him out uh, rather than what the world gives. Allow him out. Kingdom of God within you. And some of the other things uh, that we cultivate in our growth, worship. Uh, We've worshipped this morning. Worship is our highest calling. It's crucial to the first and greatest commandment, which Jesus echoed in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We come and worship God because it's right that we worship God. He's the only one to be worshipped. It should be the Christian's desire uh, when we come into God's presence. A natural, I want to worship. Before I was a Christian, I used to say, and Andrew used to get me to church every now and then, I said, why do you sing all the songs for? I don't know them, the prayers are boring. I uh, don't really know what the, the sermon was on about, but I know it spoke to me, so have you been saying anything to the minister? Uh, you know, God does amazing things. But when you're a Christian, worship is so important. It's not to be missed. Not because it's a good worship service or the songs I like. It's your, you've got to, that's focused on your preference. You, we need to focus on God Almighty. 
and our, and our attitude and hearts have got to be directed to him. When we come into God's presence, it's an immediate response, or should be, when we first commit our life to Christ, to worship God. And so if nothing is as important than worship, then there's nothing more impossible without the help of the Spirit of God for us to worship. So our highest calling is one that's against it, and we need the Holy Spirit of God to help us. And he, he does that, John 4, 24. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. So we have utter reliance on him. When I became a Christian, that was a bit of a journey. Um, I got baptised, and the first sight, and they prayed for me to be filled with the Spirit, in this very pool, and I didn't feel anything. I knew something had changed, but I didn't feel anything. Uh, but the next Sunday I came, and we were singing some of the songs that I found a bit boring and a bit lifeless before, and I found I had tears in my eyes. And often, for people being filled with the Spirit, they may not be aware of it, or they might be aware of it, but worship takes on a whole new meaning. A whole new meaning because God's spirit now is in us and he's helping us to become worshippers in spirit and in truth. So it's very important in a spirit-filled life uh, to take uh, seriously worship. It's important personally and together. All the great revivals, this is a fact, all the great revivals in history have been accompanied by great singing, passionate praise, people's hearts being focused towards God and backed up by prayer. Remember, I'm not to put them down because they really, really changed and great. But my last church, I remember going on a visit before I was to minister, and we were we were singing these songs, and I think we were singing uh, "There Is a Redeemer," and I have to say they didn't like it. Um, Until when I left, it wasn't a favourite, but I loved it, so that's what we sang. Um, but I loved the words, if you like, more than the song. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son, leaving your Spirit here until the work on earth is done. I used to love it. But I remember when I first went there and we sung, and I stopped it. I said, I'm sorry, I don't think you realise who you're singing to. Um, And I said, you've got to really get a grasp of who God is, and you need to be singing with passion and commitment. This is God. All the praise and honour belongs to him. And, you know, over time we cultivated that, and I went there, and they really, they really responded to God. We preached his word, but it was to God they were responding. And it was amazing that as we worshipped, the power of God would be released because we're giving all the glory and honour to him. And then he blesses us. He ministers to us by his Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, people became attracted to that worship. I'd like to say the preaching, but I don't want to big myself up. Probably more the worship. Um, And church grew. It was the fastest growing church in EBA because I think any church, this one included, if we have faithful preaching, Authentic preaching, biblical preaching, um, and authentic worship, and hearts right before God, the church will grow. The uh, gates of hell will not come against it. Jesus will grow his church. We don't want lackluster or ritual or better go to church. I'm going to go to church and worship God who saved me. And the spirit-filled believer would have that God-given desire to worship God. And as we do that, his spirit promises to move among us. And if we're longing for spiritual revival and renewal, then our worship life is paramount, along with prayer. Because that's what every revival and renewal started with. And every service we pray beforehand. Um, And if we don't, we're in error. Uh, For the Holy Spirit to be among us. We work hard to do that. The the musicians and worship leaders work hard putting these services together. They're they're a little bit stuck on time because they want to get it right before you come in. And they're giving their gifts of service, but they know they've got to get in there at least for a couple of minutes and really ask God to be part of it. Otherwise, they're going to have a concert. But with God, it's everything. Everything. So worship is our highest call. I remember um, 
uh, before I was a Christian again. You know, as I said, we were singing songs and uh, my heart was cold, unresponsive. But once I became a Christian and, and the Spirit of God took hold of me, I sought not only to worship passionately, but later on to lead passionately, authentic praise, to make sure that not only would I lead others close to God, I'd lead myself close to God as well. And I've got a little illustration for you. I remember coming here one Sunday evening before I was the minister. I was the minister up in stock, um, and um, I came here. And Barry Griffiths, remember Barry? Good old Barry. Um, he was leading worship, and I was sitting just down here, and it was going to be a communion service, and he's having his time of worship. And um, he sang that song, Majesty. You know, Majesty? You know, here I am. I won't sing it. You need praise for healing. Um, but I remember I lost. I was lost. I'd gone. I was like this. And, you know, tears in my eyes. And it was, the spirit was evident. And in the congregation, myself, it was amazing. And then I remember, I just remember suddenly there was this silence. And I was just sort of like this and receiving. It was fantastic. And then, and then after a while, I thought, he's really, he's really leaving a lot of space for the Holy Spirit to work. And he, but in the end, I thought, well, it's been ages. And I opened my eyes, and he's looking at me going, you've got to get up, you've got to preach. And I didn't realise everyone was waiting for me. But I was lost in the worship. I was lost. I was gone. And I had to compose myself, if that's the right word, to come up and preach. But he'd led me close to the throne of God and... And when that happens, it's a great, it's an intimacy. Now, the most common word used for worship in the Bible is a word called proskuneo, which is 66 times in the New Testament. The only other six words for worship are only used once. So this is the most common word. It means, I come forward to kiss. It's really intimate, really intimate. We're not just singing songs. We're worshipping our creator. It's amazing. And it's a language of intimacy with God. If I want that intimacy, I've got to be intentional about it. I've got to come and give God his rightful place. Not, that's not a song I like. Or I don't like the, I mean, I'm the one the worst. You know, it's too high, too low. Um, but really, I'm worshipping God. I'm not really concerned what other people are doing. I'm worshipping God. And he ministers to me. Generosity is another sign of the spirit-filled believer as we go through our spirit-filled life. Uh, we should be generous people. Obvious and fantastic sign of the Spirit's presence after Pentecost was incredible generosity in the early church, whereas the giving in the Western church, has to be said, is proportionately small. And because of probably our relative affluence, we don't have as much maybe trust or need we feel of God or the Spirit for our material needs. We have an alternative, and this can affect our reliance on God and sometimes our faith in him to provide. But if you look around, this building was provided um, the extensions were provided. Ministers have been provided and sent out. And, you know, there has been faith. But writing about the early church, a man called Charles Pinnock said, the concern for the needy, this willingness to sacrifice his one's own possessions, didn't arise from a merely human resolution to be less selfish and more ethical. It arose out of an encounter with the Spirit. Perhaps the reason today that we're afraid to risk our property, to dig into our savings, to choose less lucrative careers is that we're not fully yielded to God, not really living in the full, unhindered presence of the Spirit. The love of God doesn't overflow in our hearts, and we fear that God is unable to take care of us. God can take care of us. He doesn't necessarily promise an easy ride, but all of us got a roof over our head. All of us are fed and watered. Some of us will wish we had as much as the other or, or not. Some people prefer a simple life. And as I say, this building and the faith that it would have taken uh, to happen uh, ministry that's gone on over the years, extensions that have happened. Where are now? We can't go anywhere uh, in this building anymore. The mission giving that we do, 
is fantastic and faith-filled. It can always be more. It can always be more sacrificial. Not a legalistic decision, um, but a heart decision. I remember asking in my first church, uh, thought I'd get away with it. I said to the minister, how much should I give? And he said, well, whatever you feel God's prompting you to give. And I didn't like it. I wanted a number. I dealt with numbers. I wanted to know what I could get away with. That's the honest truth. Over the years, I've seen that actually sacrificial giving, God gives back time and time again. It's part of our faith. Tithing for some will be a target for others. Um, it's not a church tax and stay at 10%. It could be more. And only you will know in your heart, and it's between you and God, nobody else, what you give. Now, you can see why I've cut out the last two, but I'm going to briefly mention uh, spiritual gifts, if we can have the next slide, please, Ben, and spiritual power, only to really whet your appetite, because I'm going to have to come back to these. Uh, But Jesus, what I want to encourage you is Jesus expected his followers to do the same works he did. Can you believe that? We look to Jesus, don't we, as we rightly should, our Lord and Master, and he says, you're going to do more. You're going to do more, whether it's the number of people or bigger and better things, uh, who knows? But a church in history has performed miracles, converted people, a third of the world are Christians. We've done more. We do it in his name. But he sent his spirit to us to help us to do that. But they're big subjects, so I just want to talk about this uh, for a second, spiritual gifts. For a long time, the gifts were ignored uh, uh, over a period of time. But in recent church history, uh, there's been more openness to the gifts of the, the spirit. And there's a few things uh, when we look at them in the future that I want to talk about firstly this morning. Don't resist them. Don't, if you feel you're gifted, come and tell us. You are gifted in something. Uh, everybody has gifts. Um, and as Stephen told the Jewish leaders in Acts 7.51, he called them, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. There are churches that resist the Holy Spirit, and they won't last too long. Because without the Holy Spirit, we cannot grow. Don't quench him. 1 Thessalonians 5.12-22, the church at Thessalonica uh, had a lot of young Christians in there. That's a good thing, we love that. But they weren't willing to submit to the leaders of the church. They're new Christians, we're full of enthusiasm, we're going to do what we want. And Paul tells them to respect the leaders of the church, to hold them in high regard, in love, because of the work that they do. But then he says to some of the church leaders, who were critical at the enthusiasm of some of the younger members and objected when certain spiritual uh, gifts were exercised, he says to them, do not put out the Spirit's fire, but test everything. Hold on to the good. And so many churches have split over this subject of spiritual gifts. And it's unnecessary. And they're not doing what the Lord's commanded them, which is to love one another and bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances they've got against one another. Some will push them too hard and others are too resistant. A better approach, surely, is to encourage what's good and gently correct what's wrong. So we want this openness to the gifts of the Spirit. We've all got them. The list is immense, and it's going to be a whole other subject. And finally, the spiritual power that we have as Christians in a Spirit-filled life. Cardinal Newman once said that, I like this illustration, I hope you like it, because I had this image of a horse in my head, so that's what you've got to get. And I'm not talking about the Godfather film. It's more than the head, it's the whole body. Okay, you've got to think of the image. Forget the one I just mentioned. Cardinal Newman once said that the church is like an equestrian statue. The front legs are lifted up, ready to move forward. Every muscle in the back legs is standing out and throbbing with life. As you look at the statue, expect it to spring forward at any moment. Unfortunately, when you come back 20 years later, it hasn't moved an inch. Yet look at the early church. 20 years after the outpouring of the Spirit, they had moved forward by astonishing leaps and bounds. There was one simple reason. The power of the Spirit was with them. And to finish, how can you know him? You can have this spiritual power. Jesus promises it. He says, simply ask for it. 
Luke 11, 9 to 13. Jesus just says, you must ask for it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Don't be hindered by a lack of personal commitment. When Peter said in Acts 5.32, the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Be committed to God. He'll pour out his spirit. But my experience is the more I hand my life over to God, the more he fills that gap with his spirit. Don't have unconfessed sin. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. He's called holy for a reason. He's holy. You won't feel anything that is unclean. So we have to ask the Holy Spirit to search our lives. Confess and receive him. Don't be complacent. Like you don't need him. We all need him. And we need that desire, like the, like the child on asthma, to keep on asking, seeking, knocking, and saying, I need you. Without you, I can't even have life itself. And don't think it's a one-off experience. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, it's called the present imperative. It means go on being filled. And there are examples in the New Testament, after Pentecost, that the disciples were filled again with the Spirit, not just a one-off event. So spiritual birth. Be convicted, repent, believe, be baptised, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, spiritual growth, which we've majored on really this morning. And then exercise those gifts and recognise God's power. And the church needs to cultivate all of that. And we will have a series on it. God hasn't forgotten or taken back his promise. The Spirit is given to those who take him seriously and ask, and ask him. And the only person who can do that for you is you. So you need to go away or here today and ask God to fill you with spirit. But I'd recommend ask him every day and then go and live it out. Let me pray for you because I think we've got expectant ask seeks and knockers at the, uh, at the door. Who uh, Kids are a great example. They don't give up until they get what they want. That's how Jesus says. That's how we should ask for the Holy Spirit. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So Father, I pray for everybody here and myself that we'd always ask to be filled with the spirit and absolutely recognise without him we can do nothing. We'll just be on our own with our courses, our programs, our services. I pray, Lord, the life of the worship in this church would be one that's pleasing to you, prayer-filled and exuberant, uh, one that pleases you and where you minister to us with your spirit. I pray for these youngsters now as they come and join us. We bless you for them. pray you'll fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill this place with your spirit. Let, me, let us be known as a church of the word and of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.